Love It or Leave It is brought to you by Angels Envy. Envy is commonly regarded as a vice, but it can be a good thing. Envy can be a catalyst for creation, inspiring the world to raise the bar. And Angels Envy is a bourbon that is worth the envy. Angels Envy bends the rules. It's a little different from all the other bourbons out there because Angels Envy is the pioneer of secondary finishing in bourbon. Angels Envy is finished in port barrels, which adds a layer of complexity to the whiskey and gives it a unique and approachable flavor. Plus, Angels Envy is one of the first full production urban distilleries in downtown Louisville. And whether it's for someone special or to bring to a housewarming party, Angels Envy makes the perfect gift. These angels are so, they have so much envy with its unique bottle design. Angels Envy bourbon finished in port barrels is sure to be the envy of any bar cart too. Look for Angels Envy bourbon finished in port barrels. Please drink responsibly. Copyright 2024, Angels Envy bottled by Louisville Distilling Company, Louisville, Kentucky. guys. How you doing? It's great to be in New York. There was a standing ovation of one, uh, which means all but one of you was wrong. <laughs> it's great to be here at the Javits Center. Uh, it's nice to associate it with something new. Uh, speaking of, <laughs> we have a very special episode of Pod Save America. On Tuesday, John and Tommy and I are we're going to the woods. We're going to sit down with Hillary Clinton. We're going to talk about what happened. Also, to all of our listeners in Florida, stay safe, because as this comes out tomorrow, Hurricane Irma is heading towards Florida. And finally, of course, if you like the show, rate the show, subscribe to the show, tell other people about it, you know? All right, we have an awesome panel for you today. Uh, he is, uh, she is a comedian and host of the very funny political podcast, Fake the Nation, and author of the book, How to Make White People Laugh, Nagin Farsad. He is an up-and-coming comedian seen on Rolling Stone's 25 Under 25. Yuck. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> and Split Siders on the Verge. Uh, please welcome Jabuki Young-White. And you've seen her on SNL, and she has an hour stand-up special called Pizza Mind. Please welcome Sashir Zamata. Hi, thanks for coming. There are Sashir heads here. I guess Sashirites. so. I think someone screened Beyonce and they might be confused. <laughs> <laughs> How are you guys doing? Good. good. As good as you can, you know. You know, uh, people tell me to have a brief conversation at the top where, I can, where they can identify the voices with the names, and I've never figured out a way to do that. Nagin, how are you? Um, I'm great, <laughs> and I've often been told that I sound like an adult butters. So <laughs> if that helps the listener identify... That's something to keep in mind. Uh, Jabuki, you're the guy that's not me, so people will get that, I think. Yep, here I am, right here. I identify don't know, it. There's a little bit of a similarity, though. 
I'm gonna try to. I'm gonna try to match you. <laughs> Just to shake it up a little bit. All right. All right. I think we are. I think we're kind of heading towards the middle. Yeah. That's good. I like this. I think. Th- I, I think, think that we could ride this frequency. I feel like me and Sashir should go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's get into it. What do we? Hear my voice. Well, we already talked about the Sashir heads. So I felt like we had gotten, but I, but you know what? I'm sorry. No, it's fine. People know my voice. <laughs> it is weird though. I've I've uh, been in like supermarkets or other public spaces, and people like round the corner and be like, "I knew it was you because of your voice." Like they could hear my voice and know that I was shopping. That's <laughs> that's weird. Uh, let's get into it. What a week! On Tuesday, Trump. Through Jeff Sessions, uh, his evil gnome uh, laid out uh, their plan for DACA, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, uh, something that I think about 800,000 young, uh, young people in the United States have signed up for to give them a sense of permanence in the only country they've ever known, that they are going to end the program in six months, uh, which is, I think, a terrible thing to do, but at the same time has now thrown, thrown the action uh, to Congress. Uh, What's interesting is what's happened in the, in the days that followed. Um, originally, it was, there was no information, right? It's just sort of leaking that the president's going to end it and then leaking that he's actually not sure what he's going to do yet because the, uh, the current White House is a general uh, on top of the org chart overseeing the dregs of Republican politics, leaking after one another to try to get their various despicable ends. Uh, so at first this seemed like we, we never really know what they're going to do because you know Trump plays chicken but then he kind of forgets the rules uh, and gets distracted by Twitter. <laughs> but he then says Congress now has six months to legalize DACA, something the Obama administration was unable to do. If they can't, I will revisit the issue. Which was a crazy thing to do because if you were setting a six-month deadline to force Congress's hand then shouldn't that be something people believe is real? But then again, I didn't write The Art of the Deal. Uh, Neither did he. Thank you. Thank you. Guys, don't miss a beat. And finally, uh, yesterday he said, for all those DACA that are concerned about your status during the six-month period, you have nothing to worry about. No action. Which was, both seemed like Oddly sweet, but also deeply dangerous and incorrect. Because people on with DACA that may expire have one month to re-enroll before the deadline. So, but at the same time, he was urged to do that by Nancy Pelosi, which I don't understand. I don't understand any of it. So Congress has to work on passing DACA. Has there anything you guys have seen this week that has made you hopeful about the fact that this can happen? I mean, there's been this incredible outpouring of activism. I mean, Nagin, what is, what is your reaction to this, Ben? I mean, well, what I love about this in general is that DACA is, you know, getting rid of a DACA means getting rid of, like, the best of the immigrants because these people, like, have to, first of all, they came as kids, whatever, they have to enroll in the program, they have to um, be, you know, be enrolled in school or show proof of school, and then they have to go through this rigorous background check, and, like, they're basically amazing people, and then every two years, they have to, like, go to do a heinous paperwork to be a part of this program, like, I don't know that I would make it in the program, you know what I mean? Like, it's, you have to be, like, a good, like, an awesome person, Um, and 
uh, and so there, it's weird to get rid of the most awesome of the immigrants uh, who also like don't know anything about their mother countries. Yeah. I got a random message from somebody who had been listening to the shows and said, I came here when I was a child. My parents are technically from India, but I've never actually been there because I was born elsewhere. And I came to this country and I tried to work in, in, uh, in public service, but I couldn't because I wasn't a citizen. So I became a lawyer to do pro bono work and just terrified, just living in fear now. And the thing about DACA is it can debate the, the, the extension of presidential power. And we should all be uncomfortable with expanding presidential power, especially now as we see it in the hands of the worst person we've produced in half a century. But... It was an extraordinary response to the fact that we've spent 30 years building an extra-legal, second-class uh, status for millions of people in this country who, uh, and, and, and who, as a product of that broken system, we all assented to in one way or another, whether with our votes or with our dollars, are going to bear the brunt of it. It's, com- it's completely insane. And, you know, John uh, Favreau and I talked to Larry Wilmore about this on his show, and he, he was thinking about the language of this, and he said that we should be referring to them as undocumented Americans because they're American. They don't know another place. They don't, it's not their fault that they don't have the one thing. And the one thing, citizenship, is super important and it means a lot. And, and conservatives who talk about that are absolutely right. But there's no reason to, to take 30 years of inaction and failure on the part of both parties and have it not land on the corporations that employ undocumented immigrants to have, make cheaper goods, to have it not land on the doorstep of American citizens who enjoy their cheap food at, at restaurants, uh, but to have it land on the most vulnerable people who did absolutely nothing wrong is completely insane. Can I say one more thing about immigrants? Uh, Immigrants, on the whole, like, they've done studies, and for every immigrant, there's 1.2 jobs that gets created for every immigrant that comes to the country. So, like, conservatives like money, right? Like, that's more jobs. Like, that's actually more jobs. Um, The one thing, so they can, immigrants can create jobs. I guess the one thing they can't do is, like, bleach their skin. So, like, that's maybe, like, the, like, problem uh, that some conservatives have uh, with them. I feel like that was a subtle reference to racism <laughs> <laughs> undergirding some of this. Uh, Jabuki, I mean, do you have... What do you got? I got some. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just I, want you to know that that was halfway through a question, but our chemistry was such that just, I didn't have any... We've established a report. Need to finish the listeners it. know. We they finished are each other's sentences. steamy up here. <laughs> um, I think the most hopeful thing that I've seen this week is uh, just the outpouring of support for undocumented Americans. And the fact that so many people are on the same page of like, if you grew up here and this is all you know, I don't care if you were a manager at Best Buy and you're taking six months to just quit and figure shit out on your mom's couch. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're an American, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, you, you shouldn't have to go somewhere that you're totally unfamiliar with. And I think that seeing that sentiment of seeing so many people on the same page is like, oh, wait, there's actually a lot of sane people, more than I expected. So Yeah, and, there, and, and it's, it's a reminder, too, that Trump is in many ways an outlier, but also a representative of a certain strain in the Republican Party because on the one hand, you see Republicans say, oh, we shouldn't do this, it should be a congressional matter, but then many of those same members of Congress, when they had the chance to vote, voted to end DACA because it was an Obama program, and Trump just gives voice to this darker impulse more explicitly. And there was this photo circulating of Jeff Sessions smiling before the announcement. And it was this deeply strange thing. You're going to the microphone 
to terrify 800,000 young people. You got a smile on your face because you got your way. Sajir, what do you think the, the role of racism plays in this conversation around, you know, Hispanic? I mean, this is clearly targeting, you know, Hispanic people as other or less and deserve to be sent back to countries they've ever, never known. Well, it feels like a movie where we have like a evil <laughs> overlord <laughs> who's doing everything they can to like eliminate people. It's kind of wild. Like I, it, it doesn't feel real. It's like, what is the reason? Who, who, does, who does he think he's helping by doing this? And it is hopeful though. Like I legit didn't know anything about DACA before this week. And knowing that there is a potential into it makes me want to work to keep it. So it's like now, now there are people who know more about it and, and are actually like rallying behind other people. And so there, there have been a lot of scary things that have been happening or brought up. But like because these things are threatening citizens or people we know or people we don't know that are around us, we now get to do the work to rally behind these people and, and support them and, and try to make sure that everyone's getting treated fairly. Yeah. And uh, you can go to defenddaca.com. And also, by the way, there are these incredible young people, we can call them undocumented Americans, who have been protesting at the Hill and doing these hunger strikes, and it's inspiring, and it's a reminder that there's still plenty of good out there trying to fight back against this. So the hope has to be that We'll get to the debt ceiling and all that in these negotiations, but it seems like there really is hope that something can pass through through Congress to help these kids, and obviously we all hope it does. Uh, next, also happening, is a series of historic hurricanes ravaging the Caribbean and Texas and now Florida. Uh, Texas has, is still dealing with the aftermath of Harvey, and now Irma has devastated islands in the Caribbean and is now likely going to hit Florida over 650,000 people have been instructed to leave their homes. You know, and so again, if anyone's listening in Florida, you know, stay safe. Do we think that this is finally going to wake people up who have not yet woken up to the reality of climate change? I mean, what do you think? No. <laughs> no. I mean, it was a couple weeks ago, I think, Ann Coulter tweeted that it wasn't global warming. It was a lesbonic mayor that... Now, you're being so unfair to Ann Coulter... Because her point was that climate change uh, and gay mayors are equally culpable. Right, right, right. Or equally not culpable. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, look. we look. Missed that nuance there. I missed that. And shame on you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I, don't, I don't think that. I think that the level of cognitive dissonance is already so high that we can't as like an American society back down off of this without coming up with some other like, oh, it wasn't global warming. It was, um, it was actually uh, God changing the climate. That's yeah. what it was. Um, but not global warming or climate change. It was God. <laughs> Sashir, do, uh, do you think this could wake people up or no? Do you disagree with that? I, yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't have, no, I don't have hope <laughs> for that. Uh, I okay. mean, because like, I mean, a while ago, Trump was like, if I spray hairspray in my house and all the windows are closed, how can that get in the environment? I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> That's a person who's an adult. <laughs> and I'm sure there are more people who think like that. I don't, I don't. Yeah. I love that because, 
First of all, it is a reminder that Trump is like a mosquito trapped in amber in 1985. Because for him, the entire environmental movement, starting with like Silent Spring and the forging of the EPA and the Cuyahoga River catching fire and the ozone hole layer, boils down to, in 1994, hairspray got worse for a sec. And he remembers vividly that two-year period when they made the cans worse and everybody was spritzing hairspray on themselves. You know, and it was like they hadn't figured out how to do a non-CFC or whatever the fuck version that's still kind of sustained, you know, that kind of whatever you'd call it, consistent. And now we've solved that problem because of amazing science. But, <laughs> but there was that one year when, like, the ozone hole was going to get solved, but the hairspray was going to suck, and it did suck. Remember, everybody's like, and you're saying... That's just, a, that sucks. Trump remembers that, and it informed his politics 100%. And so when you talk about, like, carbon pollution, he's like, hairspray. <laughs> Against. Sometimes I, and maybe I shouldn't be saying this out loud, but sometimes I think, like, our planet is like a body. Some bodies get diseases, and then the disease takes over the body and they die. I think we might be the disease that's killing this planet and it eventually will die. Hmm. Whoops! <laughs> um, I just want to yeah. let you know that you do sound like Agent Smith from The Matrix, <laughs> uh, who was the villain in that film. Everything's meant to die. <laughs> Uh, look, I, I think what I take from that... <laughs> no, no, but I, I think there's something... As human beings, we are very good at solving something right in front of us. And, but the second the problem is on the other side of a, a, a mountain or on the other side of a lake or we can't see it, it gets much harder. You know, there was a time where we just dumped our garbage into the ocean. And it was like, well, what's going to happen? It's the ocean. <laughs> you know? It'll take care of it. <laughs> <It'll>, <laughs> the ocean will fix it. Uh, and, I, and I think... Climate change is this perfect problem to exploit all of our weaknesses as human beings. I, I think because it's hard to see both the problem and it's hard to see the effects of the solution and it's so diffuse, it's hard to not counteract that human desire to just fill the space, to use what we have and to take up all the resources. I mean, one of the things we have to do with climate change is we have to leave trillions of dollars, trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars worth of fossil fuels in the ground. And if one of us, <laughs> we had a, you know, a giant diamond buried in our yard, and they're like, please don't dig it up. I mean, you can. It's legal. It'll be awesome, but leave it there. Leave it. <laughs> like, Fuck you. <laughs> it's a sick diamond. I'm going to use that to buy stuff. And, and the thing that's scary is the fossil fuel companies that have access to that, that fossil fuel on the ground, their stock price assumes they'll take it out of there. So I think that there is truth to that, that like we are not constitutionally as human beings able to grapple with a problem like this. So you know, I think that is a reason to be somewhat pessimistic. But I think like I'm hopeful uh, about um, that people who actually lived it and experienced it, who may have been climate change deniers, 
are going to be like, well, maybe I'm still a climate change denier, but we're going to keep getting hurricanes. So, like, we can call them climate change or pistachios. You can call them whatever you want. But it's like, these, these are going to happen. And so let's, like, how are we going to live with it? And so then maybe when we're building cities, um, we won't look at a piece of swampland and be like, let's fill this in and build houses on You know what I mean? Because, like, Mother Nature was like, guys, like, I made the swamplands so to suck up the jizz from the hurricanes. Like, that's, what are you guys doing? You know what I mean? You fucking idiots. Uh, she's got, like, a real potty mouth. Anyways, Mother Nature. But, um. She sounds very I'm cool. She's quoting her. But, like, that's, and I think as we go forward with, you know, developing cities and rebuilding these cities, you know, we won't, um, we won't take away those natural hurricane jizz suckers that we have in the ground. Well said. <laughs> One thing I, I've thought, just as I've, it's a morbid thought, but, but Trump is not someone who is susceptible to subtlety and perhaps Mar-a-Lago in the line of this storm uh, will maybe wake him up to this. I don't know. I mean, he keep, he's so excited about how unprecedented all these storms are. He's tweeting constantly about how biggest ever. He's like very into it because he's, a, as with all things, he's now a weather pundit. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I thought one instructive moment was Rush Limbaugh telling everybody that Irma is being exaggerated because it's a liberal hoax to make us all worried about climate change as he jumped in his Winnebago and drove the hell out of Florida because he was in the line of the storm. And I think that captures something, which is, I've said this before, but climate change doesn't care if you believe in it or not. You know, it's coming. (laughs) You know, I I feel like this was pessimistic on climate change. Chibuki. Oh, you were pessimistic, too. Yeah, Fuck. it was pretty pessimistic. I think that the Mar-a-Lago is definitely a hope, though. Um, <laughs> for sure. If anything, I just don't have to see those news headlines anymore. So that's a positive. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough, though, because he does a lot of foreign policy down there. So I don't know where he's going to you know, be able to do national security meetings with highly classified material with waiters that haven't been properly vetted if Mar-a-Lago does flood, but whatever. <laughs> There's always Bedminster. As we always say here on Love It or Leave It, there's always Bedminster. (laughs) Here's something hopeful. Oh, good. (laughs) Uh, There are a lot of people who are doing really cool things to combat climate change. Like I read this thing about some child, maybe, I don't know, middle school, high school kid, who invented something that like cleans the ocean. It's like it looks like an octagon or something, and it just like kind of absorbs all the garbage. And then I think it like pumps out other energy or something like that. Whoa. That's good. Yeah. No, you know what? That's exactly right. I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, even though Trump pulled us out of the Paris Climate Accord, we still as a country may meet its expectations because there are people doing good work. And all of a sudden, solar was supposed to get cheap, but it was never supposed to get this cheap. It's being exploited more and more and more. And even though climate change on the whole feels insurmountable, every single step we take does help us achieve it. So there is reason to be hopeful. Yeah. Let's not be pessimistic. <laughs> you guys watched me go through something. And Whatever. I think people are doing things on a local level, too. Yeah. Like, didn't, was it California that was like, we don't care if the country's not going with this Paris thing, we are, or something like that? Yeah, so, and, and uh, Jerry Brown, who I really like, was like, if they don't want to put up a satellite, I'll put up a satellite. This is California. 
economy is bigger than France. We'll be fine. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the, the other big development this week, and it actually does tie back to what we were talking about with DACA, which is on Wednesday, Trump announced that he was increasing the debt limit for three months to finance the government. It was a deal he made with Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi in front of congressional Republicans <laughs> who were furious who were furious, and I feel like they were about to say something, but then Ivanka did walk in the meeting. And Ivanka, though, and this is not, like, an unplanned thing. She seems to always wander in at, like, key moments. She's like, wanders in in, like, big interviews, and she wanders in when, like, Paul Ryan's about to be, but, but, and then she's just in, which I think is cool. So this was a deal that had a, uh, that has a three-month extension to fund the government to avoid, to lift the debt ceiling and to include disaster relief for Harvey. And I would say there was a really good conversation about the details of this on Pod Save America on Thursday that John and Dan had, um, which I recommend. Uh, but the thing that I was thinking, so it's not that great a deal. It seems like Pelosi and Schumer were kind of bluffing. And he accepted the three-month thing, and it seemed like he could have pushed back and got something better. But again, neither Trump nor I wrote the art of the deal. Uh, <laughs> And it really reminded me of that Seinfeld where Kramer gets coffee spilled in his lap and, his, and Jackie Child, they go to the coffee people and the coffee people are like, all right, we're going to give him free coffee for life and a million dollars. And they're like, Kramer, we'll give you free coffee for life. I'll take it. Uh, so that, that's what I was thinking about this whole time. Like, I, I feel like Schumer and Pelosi walked out of that meeting and gave each other such a shit-eating grin that I just wish, there's just no way to capture it. Like maybe somebody could paint it, could imagine it. Because they walked in there with a two and a seven. And they came out with, I mean, they came out with a dead ceiling raise. Let's not, let's not go crazy. But still, more than what they should have. Uh, and, and all these Republicans on background are super pissed. And there was one that said basically that Trump handed Pelosi and Schumer a loaded gun on DACA and all this other stuff. So the president makes his first deal. Wait, can I? Here's the thing, like all of the coverage has been like, oh, Trump, the deal maker made a deal, like finally. But there was no, there was no deal that was made. They were just like, do you want to do three months and Harvey? And he's like, yeah. There's no like, you know what I mean? Like it is more complicated to haggle over a Persian rug at a bazaar than that conversation was. There was no deal. What is this deal? Like, idiot. He's an idiot. <laughs> Yes, and it wasn't a, look, I, I've, I've, I've often said that I think that, that, that you can understand Trump by imagining that every moment he is trying to get a deal on marble countertops. Um, and I think in this case, he just, he just got snowed. He got snowed. He got out-negotiated by Schumer and Pelosi. How great is that? How long, Nancy Pelosi, man. I love Nancy Pelosi. I do. She got a climate bill through the House. She got the health care bill through the House. She got a ton of stuff through the House. Nancy Pelosi's great. And I know, like, but she's a lightning rod. I don't care. I like her. She passed health care. Jabuki, what do you got? Uh, I think that this is actually re really inspiring. I think it just shows that he just likes to make any kind of deal. <laughs> like, you really just got to float it. I feel like... The Democrats are kind of like kids who are like, no, I don't want to ask mom like you ask mom. <laughs> And then you ask, and mom's like, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> and you're like, oh, wow, okay. Um, cool, let's run with this. So, yeah, that makes me really happy. <laughs> and look, he'll still go back to being, he'll see the headlines on Fox and all the rest. But for now, I mean, I, th I think it's a, a little bright spot. Uh, 
When we come back, the Russia stuff. Hey, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up. Love It or Leave It is brought to you by WikiHole on Wondery. Do you know when Crystal Pepsi was discontinued? What was in Al Capone's vault or which famous meteorologist is Lenny Kravitz's second cousin? If not, then you haven't spent enough time on Wikipedia, but that's okay because you can learn all about it on the new podcast, WikiHole from Smartless Media. Discover the craziest rabbit holes on Wikipedia with host Darcy Carden and her favorite comedian friends as they bring the cyber frontier directly to your tympanic membrane. We love Darcy. Love Darcy. And if you listen to WikiHole, you learn that is the sciencey term for eardrum. WikiHole is a hyperlink roller coaster, starting out on one Wikipedia page and then going from link to link to link, careening through trivia, oddities, and unexpected connections until everyone wonders how the hell did we get here. Follow WikiHole on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to WikiHole ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Would you go for a run? Would you take a nap? Would you read a book? Would you show up for a friend? I mean, maybe I'd hang out with a friend. I don't know if I would show up for a friend. Well, okay. Good to know. Good to know. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. Yeah, we do. But at the same time, then you check your screen time on your phone and it's always like six hours a day. Mm. I feel there's a lot of people running around playing busy, you know? Yeah. If you're on your phone for six hours, you could be less busy. You could be less busy. Just put your phone down. I'm I'm as guilty as anybody. That's what therapy's for. It helps figure out these problems. (laughs) Put down your phone for an hour during therapy. Yeah, you can't be on your phone during therapy. They hate it. (laughs) But they can't stop you. It's your hour. Anyway, the point is, everybody needs therapy. I need it. John needs it. Anyone else? Anybody else? <laughs> no, that's it. Just that's the two it. of us Just need it. Just the two of us. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash love it today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash love it. one of two countries that has a stupid debt ceiling. This is not like a thing that everybody does. It's like us in Denmark. I think it's Denmark. And like Denmark keeps it so high that nobody ever hits the ceiling or ever has to talk about it. It, it is so... Why do we have it? It's it, the dumbest thing it ever. It is the stupidest fucking thing in the world. It is if, it's, if, it's if there's a ticking time bomb attached to our economy that ticks down all the time. And, and every, every six to eight months or two years or three years, we have to remember to reset the clock. <laughs> and, and everyone's like, let's get this thing off of there. And then the Republicans are like, no, we like it. <laughs> like, why do you like it? We use it to ask for other stuff. But you'll die too. We know it's stupid. <laughs> but we pretend it's not because we pretend to be crazy. Because somebody, somebody said Nixon did that once and so we'd like it and we'd do it. And it worked once, but then not again. But we're still hoping it'll work again. Like one time Obama was like, maybe they're crazy. And we're like, shit, yeah, tax cuts for the rich. And then he stopped caring, but we're still holding out. And it seems like Trump doesn't care. Fuck. (laughs) Now for a segment called The Russia Stuff. And it's a new segment. And basically, here's how it works. There's going to be a clock on that thing that says two minutes. And we're going to get two minutes to talk about all the Russia stuff. Because I don't know what we're supposed to say about it. There's nothing for us to really do. But it's interesting, and it seems very important, but it's playing out very slowly, and every day a new shoe drops, but then it feels like there's too many shoes. Like, it's like we keep waiting for the other shoe to drop, and it's like, how can it drop? The pile of shoes has risen to the place where the shoes drop from. So then there's a backup of shoes in the shoe drop machine. Well, let's start the timer. 
All right, two minutes on the Russia stuff. Earlier this summer, Mueller asked the Senate Intelligence Committee for a transcript of an interview Senate staff did with Paul Manafort, and he's tried to get more documents. It's led to tension on the Hill. Also, <laughs> Donald Trump Jr. has said that he set up a meeting with a Russian lawyer in June 2016 because he wanted to find out info on whether Hillary Clinton had the fitness to be president. Of course, the fitness to be president and adopt people from Russia, which was, of course, the first explanation for the meeting. And finally, Facebook has apparently sold uh, $100,000 worth of political ads to fake Russian accounts. And there are some reports that say that those ads maybe reach 24 to maybe 70 million Americans. The Russia stuff. <laughs> Any thoughts? I think it's funny that they were trying to hack Hillary's Fitbit. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> Like, is this physical fitness or is this just like overall? I think mental. I think mental. mental? Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, there was. A, <laughs> I don't think they were seeing how, like, if she was not doing the steps that she had claimed. <laughs> it would not have fucking surprised me if in 2016, in September, Donald Trump was like grabbing pussy and Hillary maybe had lied about the steps on her Fitbit. And then the press would have been like, how can we handle both of these candidates? They both made so many mistakes. <laughs> So, Sheer, I have to admit something. I'm pandering a little bit because we're talking to her on Monday. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. It's cool, right? Yeah. Wait, did Facebook know that they were selling? It seems they did not know they were selling them to, they knew they were, I, I don't know what they knew. They seem to have not known that it might have been part of an operation to disrupt, disrupt American democracy. <laughs> that they came to later. But they seem to have told investigators about it. End of segment. Do you guys want anything else to say about the Russia stuff? I mean, I don't care. It's just a fake clock. No one's in, there's no rules. I, there's, no ju there's no judges. I'm going to stick with my Fitbit uh, hypothesis just because I like to think that she went into the forest to hike to rack up those steps. She's like, somehow she I haven't been getting about. my steps. Yeah. <laughs> she's, <laughs> and she's like, am I going crazy? I feel as though my Fitbit has been hacked. You're like, <laughs> then her, her Fitbit is like, you've walked enough today. What? <laughs> Sit down. <laughs> Sit down, Kent. Do not go to Wisconsin. It's unnecessary. It's unnecessary. <laughs> now for a segment called OK Stop. Here's how it works. Uh, we roll a clip, and then we say OK Stop. Now, usually we can see the screen. However, today we cannot. And it's Lou Dobbs, so what we're not going to be able to see on stage is kind of an old person uh, who's lost his way <laughs> trying to sort of grab for some relevance in the world by making an absolutely bonkers argument. And as we go, we'll pause it and we'll talk about it. Let's roll the clip. A few thoughts now on the death of a rhino. Nothing to lament here. We're just examining politics in 2017. I'm talking about Speaker Paul Ryan and his obsequious deference to corporate lobbyists, his unbridled hostility toward President Trump. The okay, president, stop. not a he was flipping through the source for that one, like... <laughs> Unbridled. Yeah, like, I feel the pages burning. Like, that was a lot. I love that. I love the idea that, like, Paul Ryan, this fake Republican... I mean, look, like, I guess, I'm not a fan of Paul Ryan, but, like, he's a Republican. Like, he's a pretty good Republican. Yeah. He's what? a right-wing Speaker of the House who proposed privatizing Medicare and Social Security. Like, that's on the mark. Right? That's a bullseye. The funny, the other thing about that clip is that he makes it sound like Paul Ryan has a personality. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> he, 
like attributes all this shit to Paul Ryan. And I'm like, most of the time when Paul Ryan opens his mouth, like, I want to take a nap. Like, that's mostly how I view. And it's just funny to me that he's like got all of this, you know, this rage for a guy that doesn't, you know, evoke anything. And he's just getting started. Let's hear some more Lou Dobbs. Only took Rhino Ryan to the woodshed, but eliminated any need for any Republican to ever pretend again that Ryan is a real Republican in any way, or that any rhino has a political future after Mr. Trump simply booted the hapless fool of a speaker out of the way of those trying to get the nation's business done. Here's okay, stop. This really is something. Like, that is Republicans catching a ride on a tiger and then being thrown from the tiger and eaten by Lou Dobbs. I mean, the... Let's keep in mind what he's talking about. There was a meeting, bipartisan meeting. Democrats made their first initial offer, which was like 500 grand below list. <laughs> and right about Paul Ryan was like, I think we could get more. Trump was like, I'll take it. And that's, that's this reality. Like, Paul Ryan was just a guy sitting in a room until Ivanka walked in. <laughs> And now he's a rhino and he's not a real Republican because, you know, also, by the way, anyone who says Mr. Trump, that's bad. You can tell. You can tell you're not dealing with somebody who's on the level. <laughs> Let's keep rolling the clip, I guess. This Ryan just this morning talking about a proposal tying Harvey funding to an increase in the debt ceiling. What the leaders you just described proposed is is unworkable. I think that's ridiculous and disgraceful that they want to pl play politics with the debt ceiling. At this moment, I think that's a ridiculous idea. Okay, stop. I hope that Not the heart of the clip, but holy shit, what a hypocrite Paul Ryan is. <laughs> that guy played so much politics with the debt ceiling when Barack Obama was president. They held, you know, we, 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 you know, the debt ceiling is like, you know, playing, it's like, it's holding a gun to your own head, but like, he did it. Uh, and he was very much a part of it. So let's not, let's not lose sight of who Paul Ryan is. He needed a thesaurus because he said ridiculous like six times. <laughs> <laughs> it's just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. Ridiculous, ridiculous. Ridiculous, ridiculous Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan the rhino. Again, Republican in name only. Paul Ryan. I mean, that's the thing that's, it's, it's really is a like how far, like f how much damage Fox does on a daily basis. Like, you're going to look at Trump, who has no beliefs whatsoever, and who just made a deal with the Democrats to raise the debt limit, which the Republicans were against, including Paul Ryan. You'd be like, that Paul Ryan, he's not a real Republican anymore. It's like, so a real Republican is whatever Donald Trump happens to say in a meeting at any given moment. But also, Lou Dobbs didn't give Paul Ryan any credit for then eating shit later, like 30 minutes later, and being like, you know what? Trump was doing a great thing because he was like trying to be bipartisan in a time of great crisis. Like, I totally like respect that. And he totally, like, you know, I mean, he ate the shit that he was supposed to eat. Um, and now, he, got, he got no credit. Yeah, that's true. Although maybe part of it is that we've all, as a society, gotten quite used to seeing Paul Ryan just eat shit <laughs> that he has I mean he has been eating shit since he attacked Donald Trump and then undid his attack and then campaigned with Donald Trump I mean he's he's in the middle of a pretty long-running shit-eating contest they don't mean that they did mean that and it wasn't so ridiculous it turns out because within just a few hours President Trump reached a deal with the Democrats to raise the debt limit to fund the government until mid-December, 
while providing funds for Harvey relief. Deal done. President Trump also clearing the way for tax reform while he was at it. Contrast Ryan's inane insults, his obstinance, and subversion of President Trump to the behavior and the rhetoric of Democratic leadership of late. They've okay, calmed stop, themselves. Stop. In a weird way, I sort of relate to Paul Ryan in this situation just because I feel like this dynamic is sort of like trying to prove how black you are <laughs> at the same time. And like, no matter what you do, it's never enough. And Paul Ryan is like, no, guys, I try to take free lunch away from kids. Like, I swear I'm a Republican. Like, <laughs> leave me alone, please. <laughs> So I like how he said at the end there, like, Democrats are, have, have become calm or something. What did he say? He said something they're just, like, they're, they've calmed down, the Democrats. They're just doing, you know, he's, I don't know. It, but it's just like, I, I, I'm, I'm like, why are you, Democrats are calm because this week we didn't have to be like, why are there so many neo-Nazis here? Like, <laughs> is that why we've calmed down? Like, right. we didn't have to say that today? Like, <laughs> Right, it's like, yeah, I guess it's been three weeks since Donald Trump called white supremacists fine people. I can't believe that was just three weeks ago. A lot happens. A lot happens. Neo-Nazis make the time go by. As we always say here on Love It or Leave It. Time flies when you're watching the return of some of the darkest forces in American history. Let's finish out the clip. They've been far more conciliatory in their rhetoric over recent weeks, and now Ryan is fully exposed to the nation. His Congress, one that has accomplished next to nothing this year. Nothing in Paul Ryan's nearly two-year tenure as a speaker has been done. But like, that's, that's tough. True. That's also true. Yeah. <laughs> Our Lou Dobbs has a point. There's been a lot of shitty people having a point. Like Trump saying in the meeting that the debt ceiling is something we should get rid of. Trump has a point. Any final thoughts to wrap up this wonderful clip of, of Lou Dobbs uh, losing the plot and then finding it briefly at the end? I just, like, will probably never watch a Lou Dobbs clip again unless I'm forced to like I was today. <laughs> <laughs> it's also funny that this is not on Fox News proper. It's on Fox News Business, which is, like, the farm team now for Fox News, which is both where up-and-coming Fox News people, you know, get their, get their lay of the land about just the right amount of racist to be on the air, and we're also the kind of, the pitchers kind of losing their arm but, but can't let go of the sport because it's all they've ever known, like get a couple, less, couple, couple final chances to kind of throw one over the plate. I just made you sympathetic to Lou Dobbs. When we come back, a dramatic reading. Hey, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up. Love It or Leave It is brought to you by Fast Growing Trees. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? You can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home. On top of the wide variety of houseplants available, Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee... They offer free plant consultation forever. Mike Pence should have gotten one of those after the election day. <laughs> the experts at Fast Growing Trees curate thousands of plants for all climates, locations, and needs. Available 24-7, you can talk to a plant expert about your soil type, landscape designs, and how best to take care of your plants. The point is, I may not have a green thumb, but that's why... 
Fast Growing Trees is perfect for me because it makes it so easy. Right now, they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LOVEIT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code LOVEIT at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code LOVEIT. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions apply. Doors take us to summers away. Or winter adventures. And afternoon getaways. Your dedicated Fidelity advisor can help you open those doors by working with you on a comprehensive plan to help you reach your wealth's full potential. Because doors were meant to be opened. Visit fidelity.com slash wealth. Investment minimum supply. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. So... Amidst all of this, there's been uh, someone else in the news, uh, someone who's claimed to be the target of fake stories, uh, who's pushing back against a mainstream narrative that they reject. And so tonight we will have a dramatic reading by Sashir Zamata of the song Look What You Made Me Do (laughs) by Taylor Swift. Give it up for Sashir. She has the floor. I don't like your little games. (laughs) Don't like your tilted stage. The role you made me play of the fool. No, I don't like you. I don't like your perfect crime. How you laugh when you lie. You said the gun was mine. Isn't cool? No. I don't like you. (laughs) Oh! (laughs) But I got smarter. I got harder in the nick of time. Honey, I rose up from the dead. I do it all the time. (laughs) I've got a list of names, and yours is in red. Underlined. (laughs) I check it once, and then I check it twice. Oh! Oh! Ooh, look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. Look what you just made me do. Look what you just made me do. Oh, look what you just made me do. 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 Give it up for Sashir Zamata. Now for a segment called, there's just like so much going on. Uh, this week, ta Coates released a piece for The Atlantic called The First White President. How many of you have read it or seen it? I think it's really worth reading. Um, it's, it's basically about the role of white supremacy in the election of Donald Trump, and I found it to be fascinating. And a lot of it to me is about the story we tell about why Trump won. And I think it's really important because we need to understand why this happened. And so one of the points he makes that I thought was really 
important is he notes that there's been this conversation about the white working class. But what was interesting is he points out that it wasn't just the white working class that voted for Donald Trump, that the most predictive thing about the election is white people that were working class, college degree, no college degree, higher income, middle income, lower income, that white women, white men, young white people, older white people, that whiteness was the predictor, not working class status. And I found myself thinking that it's amazing how that fact, which has been repeated over and over again, kind of just bounces off our politics but doesn't stick to it. Even, even for me, I was like thinking about how many times I've talked about it, and that somehow we take all that information and it gets translated into this mysterious working-class voter. I don't know. What was your reaction to the story? Yeah, I, it, it is funny because I feel like at times people were saying, oh, yeah, like the median income of a Trump voter is $72,000 or something like that. And, and then, but then they wouldn't follow, up, follow that up by saying, and that is not wor- a working class wage, you know? <laughs> and so, like, it was just one of these things where we knew some of the, the details and the reality, but everyone still kept saying white working class. And, and there's something about us that we're, like, comfortable saying um, white, like, you know, a white working class voter would vote for Trump, um, and he might be racist, but guys, his factory job just shut down, you know? And so it's like, okay that he's racist, you know? There's like something about that construction that I find bizarre. Um, uh, but yeah, it was, it was striking to me the, the, the numbers of, of other economic groups that were all also white, um, who voted for Trump, like, it's just, uh, that means, like, some, you know, some people who have, like, earned real money, like, doctors and lawyers, and, uh, you know, and have done some shit with their lives, entrepreneurs, uh, have, like, voted for this guy, and it's, uh, it's just actually more upsetting, I think, somehow. Yeah, I think Trump made it clear when he was campaigning, like, who who he was supporting so like we we think of working class people because like he said things like i'll bring back coal i'll bring jobs back to your town and this and that but then he also was making it clear at the same time who he does not support and i think that connected to a lot of people too where they were like "Mm, i also (laughs) hate women (laughs) all right (laughs) i also don't like gay people or whatever the thing is and they're like well i mean i don't give a shit about coal but i care about this the other stuff he's saying and then that's why I'll vote for him. He's got my vote. Or even, or even the people who are like, oh, Hillary's too left, like she, which is insane. <laughs> but, but, but like, oh, she, if she supports gay people, she supports uh, women's health, which should be normal things. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, I can't get on board with that. Oh, man. It's, it's like discouraging as I say it. Yeah. First off, it was so juicy. It was so good because it confirms so many things that I've experienced so many times of like having so many like Brooklyn white friends who are like, you know, it's just like all the lower middle class like white voters and my grandpa and my dad and my mom and my brother and my (laughs) cousin. But it's just like really if we focused on like North Carolina, I think, (laughs) like (laughs) just totally diverting it while like just being blind to their surroundings. So it was great to not feel gaslit for once (laughs) Um, and have that just be like brought up and actually discussed because really Trump winning was like a white thing like white people did that it wasn't like Bernie voters or like Jill Stein voters or people who didn't vote it was white people who voted for Trump like that's what did it 
That and the electoral college. True. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the other thing, uh, it, was, it was that it's sort of clarifying to see it laid out that way. And the other point just about the fact that the two sides of the, the, the way in which Obama leads to Trump, that Obama represents this achievement of someone who works twice as hard, and Trump represents this achievement of someone who had no business being there, which is why in the piece he refers to him as the first white president, because he is the both a reaction to the first black president and someone who exemplifies sort of all the flaws of white supremacy at once, not just the the racism at the core of it, but was, but but also just the 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 advantages and the things that don't stick. Racism, sexism, misogyny, homophobia. Also in the article he straight up or yeah, he when he was laying out like uh, he's the first white president is he's like also the first president to say my daughter's bangable or whatever my daughter's a piece of ass it's like a piece of ass (laughs) (laughs) it's so like this past week uh he was like you know i wasn't gonna bring ivanka but then she said daddy can i come and you know i like that she called me dad like you've listened to too much lana del rey (laughs) like you really got to pull it back um they're the lannisters Game of Thrones, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know. Okay. Wouldn't know. Okay. No, but, it, but I love that part about, you know, Obama worked twice as hard. And because it was almost like whiteness was like, oh, you think you're allowed to have a black president? How about we're going to just run a sentient piece of garbage as president and he'll win, you know? And then it happened. So it's, it was like a, it, it, you know, the entire presidency is like this reaction um, to this thing that we did achieve, you know, and it's sad. Yeah, no, what we've talked about, uh, it's going to be hard to explain to children that Trump came after Obama. <laughs> you know, it doesn't make sense. It's, ba- it's like, no, that can't, that can't be right, they'll say, on the moon. <laughs> I mean, you know, this has been in the works for so long. This is not like all of a sudden we have racist people or we have people who um, don't care about the future for their children or, you know, like, they, like this has been building and a lot of people felt like, ah, finally. Someone who's saying what I want to say. Someone who connects with what I want. Who doesn't give a shit about <laughs> other people. Uh, <laughs> they only care about me and what I want. And, uh, and yeah, and now, now we can hear those voices. So now other people who have been complacent, a little sleepy for a very long time because we felt comfortable. Because we were like, oh, everything's great. We're progressing. This is good. We weren't thinking about the people who were not progressing with us and, uh, and just angry and stewing. And now they are being very vocal. And so now we have to actually wake up and be active yeah. and combat this. Yeah, and I, I, I think it's a... I think the fact that this happened, and I, you know, I don't... I really resent talking of silver linings. Because, and I don't like saying things like, oh, we'll survive this, or because it's an abstraction and a lot of people will be hurt. And, and the wa- planet's going to die soon, so we're not going to survive Right, and, and they're, right, well, they're... they're, they're sh- <laughs> yeah, the, the virus is spreading. But no, but, the, uh, but uh, there are people being hurt right now. There are people living in terror right now. It's, it's a point of privilege to say that we'll survive this. But it is true that Trump does throw some things into the wide open. And what I took away from the piece is 
even after this election that exposed so much, there's already kind of this layer of moss forming over what happened to hide it. And I, and I think what will be good coming out of this is because he's an extraordinary writer and people read what he has to say and it makes a difference. That Hopefully that clears some of that away and we don't let some false narratives take hold. And, and I was finding myself making connection to these Confederate statues because the reason people are defending these statues is because the statues worked. The statues convinced people of a certain way of thinking about the past. And allowing a false narrative about this election is just another form of Confederate stature that, no, this wasn't a group of disaffected people. Now, that is part of it. Economic dislocation is part of it. And it's a point he makes in the piece, too, that, of course, it's not just racism. Of course, it's not just white supremacy. Big cultural forces, big economic forces are, of course, animated by these other impulses, these darker impulses. But... It's just important to, to see it clearly and see it said clearly. So that's why I wanted to talk about it. Maybe Trump is kind of like a Confederate statue. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, the, I, I saw something online that was like a timeline of when Confederate statues popped up. And uh, a lot of them happened to, to combat civil rights. Like, when we were progressing, when we were making movements, then people were getting scared. And they're like, well, we'll put a statue up. So that reminds people that the people who run this town are white. And when you go to school, if you're going to Robert E. Lee High School or whatever, you have to remember that, that we were the leaders, we were the masters, we we own this shit. And it's rewriting history, literally. It is erasing what happened and creating a false narrative as as if these losers were heroes. And that's kind of what's happening now where it's like we're, we have propelled someone so high <laughs> in our government as if they deserved to be there when he did not do the work to get there. But it's like just to erase the progress that we had made. Yeah, because we were getting a little cocky. You know what I mean? Like we were like, we've got a black president. Like Mindy Kaling has a show. <laughs> like Beyonce is singing about feminism. You know what I mean? Like pleated font khakis are kind of on the outs. Like we were making, we were getting cocky about our progress, and then it was like, oh yeah, and then you know, and the uh, and then we got the Confederates dead, the the big Confederate statue in the Oval Office. Yeah, it's like a reminder, and also a lot of those Confederate statues are like legit cheap. Like they were like mass produced. Oh yeah, they're and, garbage. And they're, they're garbage. Like some of them are like you when you see them torn down. It's like why is it so easy to tear down? <laughs> <laughs> it's like actually, actually, uh, protesters haven't done as much damage as the rain. <laughs> <laughs> I'll close only by saying that I went to Walt's Whitman Elementary School, which is named after a gay nurse and poet, and I feel very lucky about that. Wow. <laughs> when we come back, the rant wheel. Don't go anywhere. This is Love It or Leave It, and there's more on the way. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house. Even in my super-secret hiding spots. 
So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found you. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Now for the rant wheel. Uh, you know how it works. We spin the wheel. We rant about whatever it lands on. That's how it works. Uh, this week on the wheel, we have Fascination with Royals, the Suicide Squad sequel. Uh, all food is bland. That was a wreck from the panel. Uh, taking Uber and Lyft in NYC. We have the end of summer, Equifax. I hope it lands there. The New York City subways and audience suggestion. Now... This is an exciting day for the rant wheel because you guys can see it, but we cannot. And so when it lands, you're going to tell us professionally. <laughs> Let's spin the wheel. It has landed on Equifax. How many of you saw this story in the past day or two? So they have lost the data. Well, they have, they have been breached and there's been compromise of about 147, 143 million customers. Not even, we're not Equifax customers. None of us ever went to the Equifax store and said, here, take our private information and then put it under a trash can lid and hope nobody knocks it the fuck over. <laughs> Assholes. So Equifax is one of the three companies that maintains huge, huge reservoirs of data, data that determines if we can buy houses and open credit cards and sort of function in the economy. And, oh, if you made a mistake on a payment a few years ago, they'll remember, you know, they have long memories over there at Equifax, and they're a publicly traded business. They call themselves agencies, but they're a fucking business. And they were insecure. They left us all exposed. And what happens? Well, they, all the data leaks, and then their executives sell some stock, and then they let us know. I don't think that's great. Uh, and then they say, we've been very bad about holding your very sensitive information private. The information that it's our job to keep secret. We are at the heart of the protection of data in the, in the, in the global economy, and we fucked up. But go to our website and put in your social security number right now, and you can find out if we lost your data Oh, oops, actually, when you fill that out, you will not find that out. But you will have signed up for binding arbitration, which means that you can't be part of a class action lawsuit, which the Attorney General of New York is not tolerating, which I think is very cool. <laughs> you know, I am not an expert in data security. I don't know if you guys know that about me. But uh, it is, I think, part of a larger problem of consumers not having power. I mean, that, that is the truth of it, that these big, whether it's airlines or cable companies or phone companies or these rating agencies, they have so much sway. You know, one of the things that's happening right now is, as always, uh, Republicans are attempting to undo the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. It's this quiet fight that's always going on. And Elizabeth Warren tweeted out the importance of protecting this bureau because at a time, th- at a time in which we feel as though we are beholden to these giant entities that we have no control over our information, we have no control over our privacy, we're all checking yes on a box that has a fucking 15-page contract not one person in this room has ever read. How many people in this room have read an end-user license agreement? Don't raise your hand, you nerd. (laughs) I read the end-user license agreement. Do you sign them? You sign them, don't you? 
You, so you read them, discover that they're disgusting and you shouldn't sign them, but then you do it anyway. So you're not like a better person. You just waste more of your own time. <laughs> I read the end user license agreement. It has not changed my behavior at all. I'm just late to events. <laughs> yeah. Not going to raise your hand so fast next time, are you? <laughs> Fuck Equifax. Fuck these things. And by the way, one other thing is, they're like offering a year of protection. A year won't. They have given up all of us. We are all vulnerable. Every person in this room with a credit card is currently vulnerable. So it's not going to take a year. It's going to take a long time. And I think we have to ask the question of, what exactly does it take for a company to get the death penalty? Right? How much data has to be lost before they die? Um, and I think if a company says, we're in charge of all the information, and then they fail to protect it properly, there should be a big red button we press, and that company goes away. I don't know, I don't know who's in charge of the button. There's some constitutional issues around the button. There's probably going to have to be a trial before the button is pressed. And it's not actually killing any people, if that wasn't clear. It's like, you know, corporations aren't people, you know, so they'll get the death penalty, which really just means somebody signs a thing and then... I don't know, a stock price, it goes unlisted, which is less satisfying. End of rant. <laughs> Let's spin it again. <laughs> Devin Nunes. You know what? That'll be a fun one to end on. Devin Nunes... <laughs> He's too stupid to be in Congress. Uh, so Devin Nunes is, uh, is the head of the Intel Committee, although he's stepped aside and said he won't be involved. And then, of course, maybe he forgot he said that and then puts out a letter basically threatening uh, DOJ for not releasing information on... Co it, if you're going to try to be an insider who is inside the T Intelligence Committee, helping Donald Trump avoid the worst consequences of his cronies and goons and the decisions he made. You have to be pretty smart and sophisticated. And time and time again, Devin Nunes keeps just stepping on a rake. <laughs> Devin Nunes. He always looks, he always looks like somebody whispered in his ear five seconds before, I slept with your wife. <laughs> I'm doing it now. It's just like right before he goes up there, right before he goes there, like one of his aides just leans over and goes, I slept with your wife. And he goes, I gotta, hold on. it's like this. I'm doing the face. <laughs> but he's trying to pretend that that didn't happen. Like, he's like, it's also a little bit like, I heard that wrong. So it's like more like. <laughs> it's great to do face stuff in a podcast. Do you guys have anything you want to talk about? Anything you want to plug? <laughs> I'm working on being a better listener, a better friend. <laughs> All around better person. <laughs> um, follow me on Twitter. Follow him What's on Twitter. Twitter follow Jabuki on Twitter. He's uh, really funny. What's your handle? At Jabuki. At Jabuki. J-A-B-O-U-K-I-E. Nagin, what do you got? Uh, 
you guys should totally subscribe to Fake the Nation. Um, they say, if you like love it or leave it, you'll love Fake the Nation. Um, they say that all the time. <laughs> I say it. Political comedy podcast. So you guys would like it. And also buy my book, How to Make White People Laugh, and follow me on the Twitters. I'm still trying to figure it out, honestly. How do I make white people laugh? Nah, I've cracked it. <laughs> so here. Yes, I have a, a special called Pizza Mind. It's on CISO, and it, the audio is on iTunes and Spotify and uh, uh, other places you can listen to things. And um, I do shows all over. I try to tweet about it. Uh, my Twitter is at the sheer truth, T-H-E, sheer truth. It's also my Instagram. I have awesome pictures, um, so you can check those out. And Your fans could be sheer truthers. <laughs> Whoa, wow. I never thought about that. That's fun. That's kind of fun. Do you guys want to be the sheer truthers? <laughs> That's cool. Let's give it up for Nagin Farsad, Jabuki Young-White, Shashir Damata. This was so fun. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. That was great. Take us to summers away or winter adventures and afternoon getaways. Your dedicated Fidelity Advisor can help you open those doors by working with you on a comprehensive plan to help you reach your wealth's full potential because doors were meant to be opened. Visit fidelity.com slash wealth. Investment minimum supply. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary.